So for the rest of us, we're going to be in Luke chapter 8. We're continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to talk about some faith issues. On uh, May 25th, 2001, Eric uh, Wayne Mayer climbed to the peak of Mount Everest. Pretty significant lifetime accomplishment. Takes a lot of training, a lot of skill, a lot of endurance. 29,000 feet, 29,029 feet. 165 people have died attempting to climb this mountain. That's just since 1953 when I think they seriously began to track it. Um, 90% of the people who attempt to make this climb fail. I'm not even sure I'd want to try it. The really amazing thing is, Eric is blind. Totally blind. How did he do it? Well, yeah, he trained physically fit. The most important thing is he listened well. He listened to a little bell tied uh, to a team member uh, right ahead of him uh, to make sure he was always headed in the right direction. He listened to the voice of his teammates when they advised him or instructed him or warned him like Death fall, two feet to your right. I would probably just freeze right there. I'd be done. Um, so he, he listened to the sound of his pick, jabbing it into the ice. He could tell if the ice were solid and understood if it were hold him or not and whether he would make it across. Listening well is an important skill in life. It's really important if you're married, okay? But it's important for all things. Listening well to God's instructions is extremely important skill in life. And that's why Jesus focused on this in our uh, passage this morning in Luke chapter 8. And I want to invite us to turn there. Uh, We're going to look at the entire passage. It's going to be verses 16 through 25. But I want to read as we start here. Uh, And it's on 722, page 722, if you grabbed a Bible on the way in, um, use your smartphone, or if you have a real Bible, that's good too. Uh, Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 16, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come to see the light, so those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken from him. So, listening well is very important. This uh, passage is closely tied to to the preceding passage that we looked at last week uh, in verses, uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, uh, sometimes called the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils, as we talked about, and it's about hearts. It's about, it's a parable of hearts, the condition of a person's heart. Um, In that story last week, uh, Jesus is identified as the sower. 
And uh, the seed is the word of God. And Jesus has been going from town to town proclaiming the word of God and sowing this seed, uh, the gospel, the good news. The soils, as Jesus instructed us, represent people's hearts. Jesus identified that some people have hard hearts. They're like hard-packed soil. They're unresponsive to the word of God. Some people... Um, are like rocky soil. Um, There was a a short response, a joy for a while, and then just went away. And we talked about how this is an impulsive heart. Some people, uh, hearts are like thorny soil, and this represented the crowded heart. Uh, Lots of things going on in their life, keeping them from focus. And then there was good soil, which represents a receptive heart, which produces life and health and growth. Now, one of the things we observed last week was not everybody responds well to God's word. It's pretty clear. You know, we can expect that today. It was true in Jesus' day when when he was present and he was the one doing the talking. Um, People... What, we've, what we saw was that people respond to God's word according to the condition of their heart. Now, the good news is we also talked about how hearts can change over time. You know, I once had the super hard heart and wanted to be an atheist. And over time, my heart softened toward God. And hopefully at some point, it became good soil. Um, so hearts can change. Now, all of this is the backdrop, backdrop to this passage that I just read to you. So let's uh, talk about it. First, we have a lesson about light. Um, pretty simple. A lesson about light. We see the purpose of light, verse 16. Jesus tells a parable. It's a simple story. Uh, he's going to communicate some kind of spiritual principle, abs- uh, an abstract reality. Uh, he says, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar, or puts it under a bed. It's kind of a silly picture, because having a lamp was serious, expensive, valuable. This little um, kind of a clay pot with a spout and a handle, and then you put oil in it, and you put a little wick on it, and if you put it under your bed, you might start a fire. But their beds were just mats that they rolled up anyway. And, you, you know, if you put a like a big cup over a lamp or a big bowl over a lamp. Well, you couldn't see it. That's kind of silly, unless you're trying to hide something. Uh, Jesus is just stating the obvious. He says, instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. Well, that's pretty obvious, Jesus. This lamp gives light to the entire room. That's the purpose of it. It's to be placed in a strategic position so that everybody can benefit from it. Light helps everyone navigate the darkness. Now, here's an implication. Jesus is making a subtle implication about this that it's easy just to run right past. Uh, And it's all connected to that previous passage. Light is to be shared and not covered up. And light comes from the Word of God. It's to be shared. Jesus is the light of the world. God is light, and light dispels darkness. The word of God dispels darkness. So he's telling his disciples, you who have the good heart, 
where the word multiplies. You need to share that light. Don't keep it to yourself. That's the purpose here. We have the principle of exposure in verse 17. Jesus continues, For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought into the open. The nature of light exposes darkness. It exposes uh, the surrounding environment. And the same is true in the spiritual realm, as I referred to. God is light, and he dispels the darkness. He exposes darkness. God is working in the world to expose darkness right now. He's working to change the hearts and lives of people. Um, But there is a day coming, and and that's the point here. There's nothing... uh Uh-oh. There is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought into the open. There is a day coming. This is what Jesus is suggesting. There is a day coming. We call it judgment day when all darkness, all darkness will be exposed. That All the darkness of sin, nothing will be hidden. Every secret will come to light. Things that have been covered up, maybe for centuries, maybe for weeks. Everything will be exposed. Our secrets will be exposed. Uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 kind of remind us of this. And it's very fitting with how Jesus is unfolding this in in Luke chapter 8. He said, for the word of God, that's what he's been talking about in sowing the seed. The Word of God is alive and active. That's one of the things I love about the Word. It's not just a dusty old book that I'm reading for moral statements or history lessons. It's living and active. It's a spiritual dynamic. It brings life. It helps us thrive. It restores. It strengthens. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. Penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit. You know, the idea is... The Word of God uh, is so intricate and precise and specific that it can separate the soul and the spirit, the joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitude of the heart. It goes right to the deepest part of who we are. The Word of God can do that. And that, that's a, that helps us uh, gain insight. It helps us from the hidden parts of our life that we need to expose. We need to expose them to God, and then sometimes we need to expose them to other people and say we're sorry. Verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give account. It's exactly the point Jesus is making. So that's why it's going to be important to focus on the condition of our hearts, to be spiritually healthy and receptive to God and his instructions to listen well. The lesson, verse 18, therefore, consider carefully how you listen. There it is. Consider carefully. Are you listening? Remember, he said, he who has an ear, let him hear. Where will uh, Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. 
That's a little bit scary. How do you listen to God? Do you take the leading of the Holy Spirit seriously? Do you take the Word of God seriously? Sadly, I think a lot of us just like to believe the right things, and then we want to pick and choose what we like. And if this Christian part fits, good. If it doesn't, well, everybody else is doing it. Jesus is saying, if you listen well, if you embrace the Word of God and you do it, God is going to give you more. But if you ignore God's word and you pick and choose what you want for your life, expect God to distance himself from you. So when you get into a crisis and you need God, where's God? You've been distancing yourself for quite some time, maybe. And it's hard to hear his voice. Yes, God can answer any time. Here's the principle. The condition of your heart determines your spiritual receptivity and understanding of the Word of God. This is what our focus has been. The condition of your heart determines your spiritual receptivity. Why doesn't the Bible make sense to you? And you've been listening year after year after year. Is it your heart? Do you need some adjustment, some realignment? Do you need to ask God to show you what, what you should change? What you should do? Are there things that you already know that he wants you to do that you've ignored? Listen well. Know the condition of your heart. Don't slide along. That's so American, just to slide along in the spiritual journey. Be intentional, move close to him, follow his instructions. And sometimes he might use team members to encourage you or to warn you to be of help. Okay, verses 19 through 21, we're going to move. A lesson about family. This, this is going to grab our attention. The visit from Jesus' family, verses 19 through 20. Now, Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. So we get a little more information from Matthew and Mark. Jesus has been teaching for uh, some time, and he's inside of a home right now. His family has come, his mother and brothers, and they're outside and they want him. Get him now, okay? And those other, Mark and Matthew, tell you why, uh, what their motive is. A little side note here. Who is Jesus' family? This is an important question throughout history. It's his mother and brothers have come, and there are some who throughout history have said, well, Jesus didn't have any brothers. Or sisters. Jesus was an only child. Jesus was Mary's only child. The mother is Mary. But, and there are some who teach that Mary 
was a virgin throughout her entire life. And, um, but Matthew 1, verse 25 says, Joseph, her husband, did not have relations with her until after Jesus was born. Kind of making the obvious there. But we have quite a bit of support from some other passages as well. For example, in Mark chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, uh, when the Sabbath came. Now, this takes place in Nazareth, his hometown. Jesus goes back to his hometown, and uh, this is where he grew up, you know. Um, when, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. So this is, you know, the religious community, the Jewish community coming together. And many who heard him were amazed. He was very impressive. He understood a lot. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? They recognize that. He understands the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures so well. Next slide. What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Boy, that, they weren't expecting those kinds of things. Isn't this the carpenter? This is why we think Jesus was a carpenter, because he's in his hometown, and the locals are talking about him and talking to him. Um, Isn't this the carpenter? Because Joseph was the carpenter. Isn't this Mary's son? Well, yes. And the brothers of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't these his sisters? They don't get named. I don't know why. But aren't these his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him because he's just a local guy. He can't be somebody really important. He's just the guy. We saw him. He grew up down the block. He's just one of us. My point is, I think Jesus had family. And it was more than mom. Um. The lesson in verse 21, this is going to surprise us a bit, maybe. Verse 21, he replied, my, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Jesus is introducing, and it's going to come up several times in Scripture. It's not the only time or the only information. Jesus is not dishonoring his family. He's honoring his new family, the family of God. He said, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. My family are those people with receptive hearts who hear and do. They put it into practice. And um, we can see this in Mark and we see it in Matthew as well. Jesus has a higher priority right now. And that is to continue to do what he is doing. He is not going to go outside right now. And here's the principle I want us to see. Don't let your family distract you from the work of God and his kingdom. Sometimes the family distracts Christians. You know, I see what happens in the... I've seen this in my lifetime as a believer where the family wasn't important, the family became really important, and then almost the family became an idol where if I'm focused on my family, I'm doing what God wants me to do. Maybe, maybe, it's all important because I'm, I'm to love my family, I'm to love my wife, I'm to love my kids... 
I'm to invest in raising them and providing for them and teaching them. And my kids are my kids all of my life. It's all important. But the family is not on the level of God. So as long as Jesus comes first, let him direct you about your family. Sadly, I see some families are really close-knit, and that's, that's a good thing, but it's almost like if the family's going to do something, if God is leading in something else, it's not possible because what I do with the family comes first. And I just, Jesus set an example, and um, I just want to remind us, you know, in our families, we, have, we may have believers and, and where we're encouraging and helping and building up other believers. We have, may have family members who don't know Christ, and we're trying to spend time with them and help them uh, come to know Jesus, and that's all good. But they're not the most important thing in the world. And that's what I want to remind us. Um, Matthew uh, 10, 37, Jesus says that a little... He, he says it a little more clearly, or if you want to say firmly, or maybe even harshly, look at this. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter may more than me is not worthy of me. Now, that's hard for a mom or a dad. Here's what I can tell you. I know that Sue puts God before me. She loves God more than me. You know what? That has been really good for me. She is an awesome wife. And, um, you know, God uh, empowers her. Uh, He loves me through her. I receive that. Um, My kids know God comes before them. And it's made her a great mom. I know I'm a better husband if God is first. I'm a better dad if God is first. Now, that doesn't mean I don't love my kids or I don't spend time with them. It's just that if I don't have my heart right with God and he's not leading me and guiding me and giving me strength and I need to be sensitive to his leading. Now, I, I haven't done that always well. I'm, you know... There are times where I made the church too important. I got confused about God and the kingdom and the church. And sometimes I put the church ahead of my family. And sometimes that was hard for my kids, especially one of our daughters. If you know our story, one of our daughters really struggled with the time and how, um, what it was like for her to grow up. Now, there's a balance. Family is important, okay? Family is important. What I see sometimes, there are families that are really close-knit, and they stick together, and then there's a whole lot of dysfunction in our world, and they have great needs to connect with family and see good role models, and it's sometimes hard to get them together because of so many different priorities are crowding out. And Jesus has a design for it. It's called the church. It's the family of God. And in, the, in there, we are to have relationships, and it's a very high commitment. And I think it's a lot higher commitment than the American church thinks of a lot of times. Third world countries get it. But I think we get so comfortable. We just put 
Jesus and his church where it's convenient. In uh, John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said this to his disciples, and this is for the church. This is for all the people the disciples would lead. He says, a, a new command I give you, love one another. Isn't that nice? We Christians are supposed to love each other. Cool. As I have loved you, oh, so you must love one another. Now, this word for love, you probably know it's John 3.16. It's the same word, God so loved the world. It's about sacrifice. It's about commitment. Husbands, love your wives as Jesus loved the church. That's about commitment. Humanly impossible. It has to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is a commitment to his church. Love one another. This is God's plan. By this, everyone's going to know you're my disciples. This is how the world is going to begin to figure out who Jesus is. The plan is his church. All I'm saying is there's a high commitment that sometimes we just think maybe if it's convenient, maybe I'll serve. Or maybe I'll go to this group if it's convenient. But God has a plan that we are to encourage one another, help one another, serve one another. You know, we're going to counsel, admonish sometimes, warn. And we're going to walk through hard things with each other. But if I'm always kind of picking and choosing, it's really hard to develop that kind of consistent love. Now, I don't want to make up a bunch of rules. I'm not suggesting that. What I wish is that people would just be serious about being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and what He wants when it comes to commitments. So, no rules, no laws. Just ask the Spirit to guide you uh, when you make decisions. And just because the family is doing it doesn't always make it the best option, okay? And I'm not trying to separate your families, okay? Okay. Final passage, verses 22 through 25, a lesson about storms. Verse 22, one day Jesus said, this is the storm. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. That's nice. So they got into the boat and they set out. So Jesus changes the plan. He gives instructions. He gives leadership here. This whole idea of being in the boat and being on the lake is Jesus' idea. I, yeah, and in other words, we can say this is God's will for the disciples. Verse 23, as they sailed, he fell asleep. What was he thinking? A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. So here they are. Disciples are with Jesus. That's a good place to be, in the boat. They are doing what Jesus wanted them to do. They have left their families for the sake of the kingdom of God. But Jesus falls asleep. A violent storm came up. Now, here's the situation. Sea of Galilee, it's not really a sea. It's just kind of a little lake. 13 miles long, seven and a half miles wide and 690 feet below sea level so you got the mediterranean over here sea of galilee down here mediterranean's not that far by the way but at the sea of galilee there are cliffs on the east side and they're quite high above the sea of galilee 
And what happens then on these occasions, the cold air from the high altitudes sweeps down on the warm air on the lake, and it just causes havoc with the water. And the water gets stirred up, and we have a violent storm. And uh, so that's what's happening. Now, keep in mind, the disciples are what? They are seasoned veteran fishermen. They know all about the Sea of Galilee, and they all know all about boats. So it says, a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped. Water was just coming in. They couldn't keep up. And they were in great danger. This is real danger. This isn't just a nice story. They could die here. And we see their outlook in verse 24. The disciples went and woke him. They they did the right thing. Master, master, we're going to drown. Get up, do something. We're going to drown. Don't you care about us? You know, they've... They're, they're with him. They followed his instructions. And how did we get here? The circumstances are out of control. We see the lesson in verses 20, the end of verse 24 and verse 25. He got up. He rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. And that's a miracle. That's, he just he got up, he rebuked the, the wind, and everything became calm. It, it's real. And he demonstrated his authority and his power over uh, the natural world. He's demonstrated, he's been doing these things from the beginning, demonstrating his authority um, over evil, his authority over demons, his authority over diseases. And now he demonstrates his authority over the elements. And he just wakes up and he just does this. And of course, when usually when a storm uh, calms down or the winds quit blowing, the waves just keep rolling for a while. Not in this case. Everything becomes calm. It's supernatural. And um, verse 25, here's the lesson. Jesus says, where is your faith? It's a bit of a rebuke on Jesus' part for his disciples. And I, don't, I wouldn't have responded any differently than the disciples. I'd have been scared to death whether I knew anything about the water or not. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? Who is this guy? He commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. Here's what's happening. They keep learning more and more about who Jesus is. Who is this guy? So two questions for us. Where is your faith? Today, where is your heart today? Is it receptive? Where is your faith? Do you trust Jesus Christ with your life? Even when the circumstances are totally out of your control. Sometimes Christians want to have faith in Jesus like a spare tire where 
I don't bother Jesus until I get into trouble. And Jesus wants to be in connection with us 24 hours a day or our waking moments. Do you do? You do? This is what faith is. Do you do what God says? This is living faith. It's not just believing the right things. I have the right doctrine. I know the right stuff about Jesus. It's doing what he says. That's living faith. And that's what makes family. The second question is, who is Jesus? The disciples thought they knew him pretty well. And they did. But they had more to learn. And they kept learning more. They spent time with him. They kept growing. They kept understanding. They kept learning more. I believe Jesus said that's what would happen for a receptive heart. Is they would keep getting more and more. Um, In Psalm 107, verses 28 through 31. So think about the book of Psalms, uh, maybe 900 years before Jesus. And it says this. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble... And he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The wave of the seas were hushed. Next slide. They were glad when it grew calm and guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. They now know more about who Jesus is. This is what he did. This is what God did. And more and more they're understanding that Jesus is God himself. He came to this earth. Where is your faith? Who is Jesus? I like the words of uh, Daryl Bach when he said, uh, at the foundation is trusting in God and not doubting him. God has never promised our lives would be empty of pain. I think this is really important. Sometimes we think that God should do what we need him to do and what we want him to do when we have our problems. We want to create God in our image and put God in our box and have him to do what makes us happy. He does care about us and he can solve our problems. God has never promised our lives would be empty of pain, disappointment, or storms. What does God promise our resources to journey through the raging waters. Resources. He's given us the word of God. He's given us prayer. He's given us each other, the family, to walk together, to encourage, to strengthen, to help, to restore, to heal. But he he said, in this world, you'll have trouble. Are we going to be okay with that? The principle is, how you navigate the storms of life will depend on your trust in Jesus. There are a lot of events that are out of control in our lives. There there are things that get out of control. We we all face different storms at different times. We find ourselves in circumstances out of our control things that we're not able to fix, we're not able to solve. Some of our church family has some serious health issues. Some are in pain every day. And they don't seem to heal. Um, 
Some people in our church family have serious financial issues. Um, Some of you have faced unwanted career changes. Some of you have lost parents and brothers and sisters. Um, Some of you have lost children in the church family. Some of you have lost marriages. One day, there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, but not yet. We do have Jesus, and he's going to walk with us to the end. Jesus is going to overcome all storms in our life, and he is worthy to trust in every situation. And uh, I think we can learn from this passage, it is going to be worth it to give your life to getting to know him, who he is, and to trust him, to follow him. That's what he's been teaching his disciples. Listen well, because God is speaking to you through his word, through the Holy Spirit. Let's stand and let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the words from Jesus and instructing us and reminding us about the condition of our hearts. Lord, help us to listen well. Help us to think about that and to reflect on what it means to to pay attention. to the impulses of your Holy Spirit when it encourages us, when he um, maybe convicts us, when he wants to get our attention. Help us to listen well when we see the word of God and when we hear the word of God and when we think about what should we do to live this out. Give us courage, give us hope, give us your strength. Help us to listen well and to represent you well so that we can be light to our world in darkness and that they too might come to share in this light and experience forgiveness and freedom and hope. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.